Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you, to worship together, and to share God's Word. And uh, as you can see from the title, we're thinking about the church, really, God's living stones. That's you and me. And Peter explains a little bit more of who we are and what we should be doing in that passage, which I thought we could look at this morning just for a few moments. Sometimes you see funny notices outside uh, churches, don't you? I don't know. I don't think you've got a funny one outside Park End. Um, But um, I read one. It said, God wants spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. I think that's quite good. Another one outside a church in Arizona. And remember, Arizona is a hot place. It said this, whoever stole the air conditioning units, you might as well keep them. You'll need them where you're going. I once actually saw this outside a church. I thought it was quite clever. It was a, it was a big notice. It had CH dot dot CH. And then underneath the question, what's missing? CH dot dot, two letters, CH. What's missing? You are, exactly. That's very clever, not just because it spells the word church, but it reminds us of a very important point, and that is this, that the church is the people not the buildings. Now, of course, we need buildings. We're grateful to God for nice buildings. They keep us warm if it's cold. They keep us dry if it's raining and so on. That's great. But the building is not the important thing. There are many people across the world today who are worshiping God. They are God's people. They don't have great buildings. The important thing is the people. We are the church. Now, in this passage that Tony just read to us... uh, It's from uh, Peter's first letter. Remember who Peter was. He was uh, one of Jesus' closest friends. Uh, He's writing to a group of churches located in what we would, in today we'd call Turkey, uh, modern Turkey. He's writing to Christians, but they hadn't always been Christians. We think that most of them were Gentiles, that is, non Jews, who had come to believe in Jesus. They'd worshipped idols before, probably Greek or Roman idols. They'd gone to those temples. But now they were followers of Jesus Christ. And it's about the time that these folk in the first century were beginning to experience real persecution. So Peter is writing to them to encourage them that they are God's people. Now, in, in some ways, not so badly here in the UK, but throughout the world, we're in a similar position, aren't we? We're in church this morning either here or, or you're online listening, um, and we're worshiping God, but we, we are also people who haven't always followed Jesus. And that's true even if you've been brought up in a Christian home or a Christian environment. If you're like I was, I was a, a missionary kid. My parents were missionaries in India, but that doesn't mean to say I'm a Christian. It's important, doesn't it, whatever our background, to be able to come to that decision as these people had that Jesus was going to be serious in their lives, whatever the cost. They were prepared to identify as Christians, as Christ followers. And as we do that, of course, like these first century Christians, we discover what it means to follow Jesus in a culture that is increasingly hostile, maybe even persecuting us. How do you live for Jesus? How do you bear his name when it goes against the current of our culture? That's what Peter is writing about here, to encourage these people. Now, in the 
the series that Owen is taking here, we're in, in the Old Testament, we're doing the feasts and foundations, we're learning about God's people in the Old Testament, the church in the Old Testament, if you like. And in the Old Testament, of course, the vast majority of, of those people were ethnic Jews. They were Israelites. Not all. There were op- opportunities for other nationalities to, to believe in Yahweh, to, to become uh, part of the Jewish worship. They were called proselytes. But they were required then to become almost like Jews. They had to keep the Jewish law, the Jewish customs, the customs of Israel, and so on. So it's interesting this morning that in this passage, we have Peter, a leader among those first Jewish believers in Jerusalem, but who follows Jesus as the Messiah now. He's writing to these mainly Gentiles, non-Jews, scattered throughout the Roman Empire in present-day Turkey, as we said, And he uses Old Testament terms to describe them. So I thought this morning we could bring the two together. The Old Testament and the New Testament. And see what it means now to be God's people in the new covenant relationship that we have in Jesus. So writing to this multi-ethnic church now of the New Testament, Peter uses these terms which identifies them as part of God's people from the Old Testament as well. And he wants, to, he wants, I think, in this passage to underline two very important things, which I just want to mention this morning. First of all, who we are, who we are then as God's people, and secondly, what should we be doing? Now, in order to answer that first question, who are we, Peter reminds them of who they were before they took the name of Jesus and identified as Christ followers. He says this in verse 10, we've heard it read. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Before, you were not a people. But now, he says, you have this new identity. Whatever your nationality, whatever your background, you're brought together now in this new identity of the people of God. Before, he says, you did not know how good God was. But now you do because you've tasted that the Lord is good. You've tasted of his grace and of his mercy. And that's made all the difference. We have been shown mercy. Peter's outlined uh, some of the wonderful things that it means to be a Christian in the first chapter. We haven't time to look at them all this morning. But if you know 1 Peter 1, it's a great chapter. He says that we've been born again by the living and enduring seed of God's word. We've we've come to understand the truth about ourselves and this world, God's word. We've been redeemed, he says. We've been set free by the precious blood of Jesus. We believe in Jesus and through him we have a living hope, he says. We have a heavenly inheritance, something to look forward to. It's being kept for us and we are being kept for it. And in Jesus, he says, that inheritance will never fade or perish. We have a joy which can't be explained, can't be adequately expressed, a joy unspeakable and full of glory. We've tasted that the Lord is good. He's shown us mercy. It's an incredible blessing, a wonderful privilege to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter's trying to remind these folk, whatever their situation of. And so he says, now as we come to Jesus, God's living stone with a capital S, God's living stone, the main one, the foundation stone. He was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. We now also like living stones, perhaps small S for stones, but we are being built into a spiritual house 
or better still, a temple, a house of the Spirit. And then Peter uses these four pictures to explain further what our new identity is then. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Now it's it's interesting, isn't it, that, well, all those descriptions are taken from the Old Testament, and yet he's applying them now to Gentile Christians. And they're all plural nouns. They're not singular, they're not individuals. We are living stones belonging in God's building, together making up God's temple. And here's a fascinating thing to think about, isn't it? Remember, remember who I said Peter was? He was one of the first Jewish Christians, leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's writing these verses, and the temple the dead stone temple, if you like. We are living stones, but the the ordinary stone temple, it's still there in Jerusalem. He used to go to it. It's in its last days because it's going to be destroyed in 70 AD. But Peter's saying something already amazing has happened. The temple in Jerusalem is no longer really where God lives with his people anymore and displays his glory. That's what he's been doing all through the Old Testament in tabernacle and temple, but now it's changed. And remember, this is Peter the Jew. But Peter now speaks of the church, the ordinary company of followers of Jesus, you and me, all different types of people with different shapes, whatever we are. We've put our faith in Jesus Christ, and we are the new place where God lives by his Spirit in his people. So God is building a new temple now. The cornerstone, the foundation is Jesus. And this cornerstone will never be removed or destroyed, even though it was rejected by men. He's been exalted by God to the highest place. Jesus is the cornerstone. He stands at the very center of history. He gave his life amazingly for you and for me to make us a holy people. And we are God's special possession. That's amazing. He's made it possible for us to be right with God. Everything can and must now be built around Jesus in his church and what he has done for us. And now God is building his church. He's using us, individual living stones, but joined together into a new temple where God lives and shows his glory. The church now, not that old temple, is where God shows his glory in the world. And we are God's living stones. So that's who we are. But remember, we're living stones. We're not bricks in a wall. We're living stones. Our next door neighbor has been restoring his stone wall. I think it must almost be about a hundred years old, those houses where we live down by, uh, uh, in Roth there. And um, it came down. And it's amazing to watch the stonemason put the stone wall back together. Every stone is important. Every stone is different. It has different shapes. But he chooses it specially. It's fulfilling his plan in his mind to recreate that lovely stone wall again. And when it's finished, you see, ah, oh, yes, that's right in the right place. It's a different shape from that stone, but it makes something beautiful. That's what we've heard this morning about the chocolates. That's what God is doing in our lives individually, but together as Park End Church, building his temple. So that's who we are. 
What an amazing privilege. Secondly, what do we do then? Well, Peter says basically two things in this passage. He says, first of all, the church gathers in order to worship. The church gathers in order to worship. And to speak of the church gathering together, of course, underlines again the fact that it's not the building, it's the people. It's the people who gather together. It's used in the Greek of uh, the church, of course. As you probably know, as the word is ekklesia. It's used still today in modern Greek. It's, uh, if you go to Greece and walk around, you'll see that word, ekklesia, uh, church. It's used over 75 times in the New Testament and never once of a building. It's always the people. And in Peter's day, it was a word that was just taken from secular society. It had no real religious connotation originally. It was just people who were chosen from a particular city or town to be like their council. They would come together to discuss matters that they shared in common. That was the ecclesia. They were gathered out, called out. And it's exactly the same word used here in the New Testament. And Peter and the other writers use it now to apply to Christians in a certain location. Time and again in the New Testament, writers like Paul and others, they speak of uh, the ecclesia in somebody's house. It's the people. So the church is the people, the community of those who are called by God to meet together in the name of God and of Jesus Christ to do what? What do we do? Well, he says, we're a holy priesthood. Did you know you're all priests? We are all priests. What do we do? A priest offers spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we come together in order to worship, to, to offer sacrifices, not animal sacrifices anymore, of course, because that's been finished in Jesus, who was the Lamb of God. But we come now to offer spiritual sacrifices, to, together to raise our voices in praise, to pray together. Even if only one person is praying, we join together in spirit with that prayer. We say amen because we agree with it. We come to praise God, to sing the songs, because we love what we're talking about and singing about. We come to praise God because we value who God is and what he has done for us and what he's made us in Jesus. Once, we were not a people. We were just random people. But now we're the people of God, the eternal God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we've received mercy. Amazing. Forgiveness. So we want to praise God for these foundational truths about us. We want to sing about them in these songs. We want to learn a bit more about them as we read the Bible and hear it explained. We want to be strengthened in our faith as we go out into the world or as we mix with our neighbors. We want to be, we want to be excited about them. We want to delight in them because these are amazing eternal truths that have changed our lives. So we gather in order to worship, to be encouraged. And haven't we missed that through these last 14 months or so? Not being able to gather together, to see each other, to have our masks off, to be able to hug each other, shake hands, sing. Wow, I'm waiting to be able to sing, not just in theory, but really. That's what we do as the church, to exalt the name of our great and glorious God. So we gather in order to worship. And then secondly and finally, we go in order to witness. 
The church goes in order to witness. Surely that should be true. If we've experienced these truths, if we say we believe them, and they've made a difference in our lives, then we, we want to tell other people, not in a proud sense, but in a humble sense. We want to share the joy. We want to tell others about it. So the church goes in order to witness. We don't just proclaim the praises of God who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, as Peter says, here in church. We do that, and that's great, and that encourages our faith. But we're to do that amongst those who do not yet know about God's marvelous light, who haven't experienced this mercy. We are sent by God into the world to live among the pagans, as Peter puts it, rather a strong word, but unbelievers, And we're to live in such a way that our whole lives are to be a sacrifice of worship to God. So that Jesus who calls us to gather then commands us to go. So we are to be witnesses as God's new community. In both our our lips, what we say, and our lives, our actions. And that's the emphasis of the closing verse here of our passage this morning. Verse 12. Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans... That what? Well, that even though they accuse you sometimes of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. We are sent into the world to point people to God. We are now the body of Christ. That's a favorite metaphor, image, isn't it, of the New Testament. We are the physical representation of Jesus himself to our friends and our neighbors. You see, people can't see Jesus, can they? They can't see God. But we, as his body, as his temple, as the place where his glory dwells now, we have the responsibility of representing him to others. What an awesome privilege but challenge. Some of you will know that we, Kathy and I and the family, we lived in southern Africa for quite a few years, 12 or 13 years, in Namibia. Uh, Namibia is two-thirds desert, but a beautiful place, in a small town right up in the north. And we lived with a people group who'd never had a family from Wales living with them before. Never. So we were their only experience of what Welsh people were like. And as we lived among them, and we got to know them, and they got to know us, and they asked us questions about ourselves and about Wales, they got to know a bit about Wales and the customs and, and what Welsh people were like. And you know... From time to time, one of them or some of them would say to me, oh, one day I'd love to come to Wales with you. I think, oh, that's good. I've been a pretty good representative then of Wales. But then he'd say, yeah, we'd love to see those hills covered in green grass all the time, you said. I said, yes. Oh, we'd love to see those rivers flowing full of water all year round, not just two or three weeks in the year like it does in Namibia. I said, yeah, that's right. Oh, we'd love to see the rain every week. I said, well, hang on, I wouldn't go that far. But obviously, it was quite pleasing to think that the way in which we'd spoken of Wales, and hopefully as we acted amongst them, we were representatives in a positive way. Well, says Peter here, you Christians, you, you temple of the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, you body of Christ, you're to live in such a way that not only your words, but also your good deeds will point people to see how wonderful God is. They may see your good deeds and glorify God. And in that way, in the way that we as God's community live together, we're to be signposts 
to others, pointing them to realize the glorious difference that it means to belong to God's people and to invite them to come and join us. Because you see, in the ecclesia of God, there's not all these differences and, and separations that there were in the original ecclesia in, in these Greek towns. In those towns, they were separated by social, uh, women couldn't join, uh, slaves couldn't be part of the ecclesia, and uh, sometimes if you're from a different nationality, you couldn't be. Well, not so, of course, in this ecclesia, God's family. Slaves can be full participants. Doesn't matter what your social standing. Women can have full participation in the meetings. No, you see, this transforming, liberating truth, as Paul tells us, that in Jesus there's no longer Jew or Greek. Nationality doesn't matter. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female. It doesn't matter what shape you are. That uniting truth, that accepting truth, is to be lived out in our Christian assemblies as the body of Christ. We're to be an implicit criticism of the sort of uh, oppressive or, or divisive or elitist values of the culture that so often surrounds us. So this new community of God's people, we gather in order to worship and then we go in order to witness, living out, living out these wonderful countercultural values of the kingdom of God the kingdom of King Jesus. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's what the church is for. And our identity, it's not because of who we are. Our identity as living stones is based on the living stone, Jesus, who was rejected by men on the cross of Calvary, but who was chosen by God and is precious to him and therefore to us. And we follow him who, as he said, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's become the cornerstone. And as Peter says, quoting again from the Old Testament, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. It'll always be worth it to trust in Jesus and go his way. We've been thinking already about India. Let me just close with a true account. There's a, a, a a young English uh, student, Doug Nichols, who um, wanted to go to India. This was some years ago now, to share the good news of Jesus with those who'd, who'd never heard about Jesus. And so he went, and he, he went armed with tracts, and, and uh, particularly uh, John's Gospel in some local languages. But he didn't make much headway, really, until he was taken seriously ill. He had to go to a hospital in some village or town in the outback of India, he was confined there to a ward. He was quite ill. And on the first night that he was in the hospital, in this big ward, an old man tried to get up to go to the toilet. But he was so weak he couldn't make it. He fell back on his bed. And uh, he couldn't contain himself. And uh, in the morning there was a terrible smell in the ward. And the, the nurse who came in to clean him up even beat the old man for making such a mess. And the people in the ward, the other patients, were so cross and angry with him. Well, the second night, the very same thing happened again. Doug woke up with this old man trying to get out of bed to go to the toilet to relieve himself. He couldn't make it. He was crying quietly. So Doug got out of his bed, even though he wasn't feeling very well. 
He went over to the old man. The old man cowered back in his bed because he thought that Doug was going to beat him. But instead, Doug picked him up in his arms like a child. And he carried him to the bathroom. It was just a, a hole in the ground, really. He helped him there. He did what he had to. Then he brought him back to his bed. And when he laid him down in the bed, the old man kissed Doug on his cheek. He couldn't speak to him. They couldn't speak to each other. But it was beyond language. Well, you know, Doug writes that at about five o'clock in the morning, later that morning, another patient woke him up, woke Doug up with a, a cup of tea, and then he indicated to Doug that he, he wanted to have that, that leaflet that he had by his bed. It was at St. John's Gospel in their language. And so he gave him a copy. And throughout the whole of the next day and about for 48 hours, people came, kept coming to Doug at his, in his bed asking for that, for that book there that you gave to the other man. They kept coming and asking him for booklets. Why? Because they'd seen something of Jesus in Doug. In that act, as we've already read today, when did we see you? When did we see you? When did we meet your need? As much as you've done it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Friends, we're to be the representatives of Jesus. We are his body. We're his living stones. He's chosen us. We're his special possession. He's forgiven us. He's given us his spirit. So we've come to worship, and now we go to witness. We're going to finish our worship this morning by singing a great song, which uh, underlines our identity in Jesus, in Christ alone, my hope is found. <laughs>